Hi everyone. So apparently I just couldn't stay away. I'm doing um, a quick recap of Madeline Miller's Circe. So stay tuned. So I was going to be done until the new year, um, but I had bought this book, which I had seen on lots of friends' Instagram posts over the, the last year or so. And I always loved Greek mythology. As a young kid, I used to read all the little blurbs in the encyclopedias about it, and I'm pretty sure I convinced my parents at some point to buy me a book about Greek mythology as well. Um, so Circe, I, I knew who Circe was. You know, she was a witch. She um, was the sun, the sun god's daughter, one of his children. Um, and she was half human, well, I guess technically she was fully a god, fully a god because her mother was Persis, who was a nymph. So she was half nymph, half god, not, I guess, the child of a god and a goddess per se. So at any rate, you know, anybody who knows mythology is familiar with Circe and the fact that she lived on an island and had this tendency to turn humans into pigs. Um which comes up in the Odyssey, and uh, that she also um, had her, her own son, um, actually with Odysseus. And we also know about Circe because she is the person who turns um, Scylla, who is this, like I think, six-headed sea monster, into stone, uh, therefore breaking the curse of you know humans having to like being destined pretty much to lose half of their crews um, on ships when they had to go through this strait to get to a certain part of, of the Mediterranean. But the thing we don't know about Circe is why she is the way she is. Uh, and Madeline Miller does a really beautiful job of fleshing out uh, the mythological story in a way that um, humanizes Circe God, goddess though she is, and actually fills in gaps and takes, you know, um, creative license with giving us some flesh for these characters. I found it actually incredibly powerful uh, because it's written by a woman about a goddess who has human frailties and human difficulty. So, it's something that's interesting, you know, as a, as a little kid who grew up in the church reading mythology, I was always really relieved for two reasons. Relieved, one, that this was all not real and that we did not uh, live in a world that was at the whim of a bunch of immortal beings that were as messed up as we are. Number two, uh, relieved that the God that I believed in um, was better than all of this. And, uh, and I still stick to both of those things because my gosh, this world is hard enough with humans that live and die. I could not imagine living in a world with beings over us that were as fickle and petty and vengeful and lustful as we all are. Like they're, you know, not quality by any stretch of the imagination, but they just can't die and they have supernatural power. Like, what a rotten world to live in. That would be, I can't think of anything worse. I mean, that sounds like a hell, honestly. Um, so, 
some themes that stand out to me. So there will be many names that you will be familiar with already from Greek mythology if you're aware. If you're not, I don't want to ruin it for you. I want you to enjoy this journey on your own. Um, but I will tell you some themes that you can pay attention to as you read, read the book. There is this idea of the fact that even the gods don't have complete power. So, you know, there are these trio of sisters, the fates, that determine what will happen in the course of time. And everyone is at their mercy. And that includes the gods. So the gods can try to, circum, you know, like, in, in, insert themselves into a story to make it in the way they want. But they really can't have true control over the end of something if the fates have already deemed this is the way it's going to go which I, I found kind of interesting. And then you have the fact that the gods can't die, but they can be tormented. And so we have the Titans, which were the original gods from whom Zeus comes from, and then Zeus becomes the king of the Olympians. And those are the more modern gods that most of us know the names of. Uh, Athena, um, Apollo, Hermes, um, Poseidon, these, these names, they of course, have both Greek and Roman um, equivalents because the Romans adopted the Greek uh, religion. And then you've got this subset of these creatures that are like nymphs and nereids, I think is how you say it. So um, the spirits of the forest, of the sea, um, of the meadows. Um, and most of these are, are, are female. Um, and for some reason, while they, they, they're beautiful, usually, and if they're not, then they aren't very valued. Um, and the thing that I found striking is that a nymph clearly has some immortality. However, she doesn't have that much power, and she is vulnerable to not just the gods and their whims, but also to men. So that means that nymphs are vulnerable to sexual violence at the hands of humans, just as much as at the hands of gods and their own, you know, their own species, if you will, which is horrifying. Like, who would come up with a world where that would even be possible, right? And Circe is, is in, this, in this realm. Uh, she's a nymph. And so you, you, you pick up quickly that a lot of this religion, this mythos, is steeped Either it shapes the way that, you know, the Greeks will use them, for example, the ancient Greeks saw the world and, and they framed the stories to fit the world that they live in, or they had these stories and then the world fit to match it. I'd venture to say they probably reinforce each other, to be honest. And so this view of women as property, as pawn, only as good as how beautiful she is, and then she can only survive by her wiles. And I think Chimamanda Adichie would call this bottom power. So she's got to either use her sensuality to get what she wants. Or she just has to be super, super sneaky and slippery. And just be like 10 steps ahead of all the men. And relatively ruthless. I'd venture to say to live in a, in a world like this, part of you has to die. To be able to do this effectively. And it doesn't matter how beautiful, it doesn't matter how wealthy, you are always at the mercy of a man. Always. 
whether that's a man or, in their world, a man or a god. And even Circe, as a goddess, is always at the, at the mercy of the whims of the gods. And when they decide they want to poke fun or puppet someone, um, or of men who are, you know, bigger and potentially stronger if she doesn't keep her wits about her. Her witchcraft comes in handy. Um, this is why we have men who to get turned into pigs. And I actually don't know if men being called pigs came out of this or came later. But when you read the book, you totally understand why. And you, you wish that you could have the power to do the same today. Uh, because she honestly was left with no, uh, no better option. Um, your heart goes out to her because all she wants is a moment's peace. A moment's peace and love. Love towards her that she has given to someone. And it's, it's actually very sad for a, long, a large portion of the book that she just is looking for that. And she really is reflective enough about the things that she's done um, where she doesn't want to be like her family. She wants to be better. And she wrestles with, is, is that possible? And I think that her family sees her kindness as a frailty and they are disgusted and I think kind of confused by it. And I think they also think it's a very human and base thing for her to have this view of the world. Um, you see that nothing is fair ever. And, you know, I'm not a mother but you also witness kind of the transformation of what it looks like to live um, for someone that's not just you. You know, I had a, um, an interaction with a, an Uber driver back when people could ride in cars with strangers. And he asked me what I did for work, and I told him, and I was on call, so I had the pager with me. And it gone off, and he, uh, when I finished, he said, oh, so you're, you're on call right now. I said, yes. And he goes... So when you're on call, how, how do you sleep at night? And I was like, eh, well, um, not that great because the pager could always go off. So even if it doesn't go off, I probably don't sleep as soundly as I would on a night where I wasn't. Why do you ask? And he said, that's what it's like to be a parent. And then he told me he was divorced and he and his wife split custody of their son, but that ever since his son entered the world, he never slept the same Again, always wondering if his son was okay, um, if he needed him, make sure he didn't miss a phone call if his son wasn't with him or if his son was with him, make sure that he didn't hear him call out in the middle of the night if he had a bad dream or if he was sick or something like that. And he said, you know, I never imagined that kind of that peace of mind that I baseline had is gone. It's gone forever because I'll always be thinking about him even when he grows up and doesn't live with me. And that struck me uh, because Cersei shows you that in real time. Uh, and I'm sure that any of my listeners who are mothers or fathers will agree with that, that your children are actually um, you outside of your body, even though they're not you. Um, and that a part of your mind is always dedicated to, their, to them. They're flourishing, um, your hopes and dreams for them your concerns, all these things, right? And that, I think that's a very um, human thing. Uh, what I find fascinating is that it's something that 
it seems almost that the gods lack, that they lack selflessness. Like they are incapable of thinking about any, anyone other than, than themselves. And they're horrible beings. Uh, so I just say that if you want a real escape from reality, take a, take a gander to read Circe by Madeline Miller. Apparently she also wrote um, a book about Achilles. I think it's called The Song of Achilles, which I'm looking forward to catching up on reading, hopefully in the new year. And I hope that everyone has a lovely holiday season, um, gets some rest, uh, takes a break, and I will talk with you all in the new year. This is a Petite Polymath, a recording from the mind of Brit Stone. Y'all take care.